good morning everyone good morning today is february 4th 2024 and this is coming to the pad talk i am memuna ram swami and just a short note we have no connection to ram swami the republican presidential candidate <laughs> we do not know him <laughs> When Truman first asked me to give coming to the pad talk last fall, I thought about focusing on my time in U.S. and how I got here at the Zen Center. However, when I went to India in November and December, just last, last, just a few months ago, I thought more about this and realized. I have to include my years in India to tell the full story of my coming here. So as we know there are always many in- interconnected events and people that um they that brought me to the Rochester Zen Center so I'll talk about some in chronological order. At first my granduncle in india indirectly affected me my daughter malika my husband shiva and my teacher bodhin roshi and as i talk more you will see how they are connected so little bit about my early years in india as everybody knows i was born in india <laughs> I was born in the Sayed family in Palanpur and Sayed is my maiden name. Palanpur is a small town in state of Gujarat about 300 miles north of Mumbai and 30 miles south of Rajasthan. So we're almost in Rajasthan. I was youngest among four kids. My father was a physician who had a large medical practice. and my mom was a housewife with who managed a large household with extended family our multi-generation family included my mom my dad my two sisters my brother my grandfather his two brothers and my father's first cousin who i thought was my brother until i was 6 years old Now a little bit about about the environment that I grew up in. Our ha- home is a large with an open courtyard in the middle and rooms and verandas around the courtyard. You kind of wonder where all these people lived. <laughs> <laughs> so think of a, a smaller version of the Chapin Mill retreat center. so it's like the rooms all around and the courtyard in the middle where people could gather in the summer times the backyard had a large garden with fruit trees lemon trees papayas neem and one coconut tree and when i never saw coconut because coconut is not um in north india it's basically a southern climate tree and we also had one banana tree and i never saw any bananas either and probably the same reason because there is plenty of bananas in south india and many fragrant flowers that my mom selected 
My family has lived on the same land since 1600s. Our house was rebuilt many times in last two in late 1800s and again in mid 1950s. And my parents rebuilt the house in 1950s and so that was the last time. Nearly most of our relatives also lived in similar houses in multi-generations families. This is not uncommon in Asia, as you know. We were surrounded by very diverse and religious communities. Our friends were Hindus, Jains, and Shia Muslims. All are celebra celebrated, we celebrated all holidays. Diwali, the Hindu festival of light, was a major holiday for everyone. And I always remember lots of firecrackers and lots of sweets exchanged from one house to the another. I went to school run by Jains. Everyone from all faiths came to this school. I have many friends from all different religions. And some of them are here and we still keep in touch. So now a little bit about the spiritual tradition that I grew up in. The Sayyid family belongs to a mystical tradition within Islam, similar to the Sufi tradition. This spiritual tradition is called Mahedwism and no connections to Mahdi sect of Iran. It was totally in, homegrown in India. The Mahedwi mystical movement in India was founded by, in 15th century by one of my ancestors, Sayyid Muhammad Juanpuri in northern India, a place south of Nepal and west of Delhi. So there was no shortage of mystical movements around that place. The Mahedwis practice a form of meditation called zikr and consider this the most important part of their spiritual tradition. It is said that the founder was troubled by the lack of mystical and spiritual aspect in Islam in his time and place. So he brought the message of non-materialism and spirituality through meditation. The Mahedwis were persecuted by fundamentalist mullahs over the years and there's a whole history about that. For several centuries, Mahedwis did not build house with foundation. Why? to avoid material attachment and probably be able to get up and leave when you were persecuted. This, cha this change at some point, as we know, because now we live in big houses, certainly when our ancestor moved from the state of Rajasthan to Gujarat, my hometown, in, 1960, in 1616, as a spiritual teacher of the royal dynasty of Palanpur. They may have felt protected there, since in 1750, the dynasty built a 
a very tall and strong wall all around the town at that time with seven gates that that were guarded all times and one gate is still there we i took my husband to see him that this time when we were there our tradition highly recommended the practice of meditation daily around sunrise prayer and sunset prayer not everyone does this since we know you cannot make people to sit if they do not want to <laughs> <laughs> so some people just participated in different rituals and ceremonies but they didn't really come to meditate but the people who want to it was available there so one has to seek out guidance of a qualified spiritual teacher or a guide and the the word that was used for the spiritual teacher was murshid and the same vocabulary we use in madhvism that is in sufism so i i think that there's some connection there all are free to choose their teacher and one can find different teachers within the same family In fact, my mom and dad had different spiritual teachers. And I remember them talking about whose teacher was better than others. <laughs> and it was a, it was a joke. <laughs> the spiritual bond between teacher and disciple is believed to be lifelong and continues after death. And that was the belief. And this spiritual guide or a teacher helps with that meditation if possible perform ceremonies on 10th 20th and 40th day after death the spiritual guide's lineage is highly regarded and recited at the teacher disciple ceremony most followers initiate renunciation after retirement or in advanced age in to focus on their meditation and this time when i went there there were some decisions and some questions and discussions about what do people do with their pensions because you're not supposed to have anything and i i don't think i heard what the answer was for that they also take up periodic solitary retreats um and they also donate 10% of their income to the needy so that's also to avoid materialism the spiritual guides renounce the material attachment at any age when they accept that so now a little bit about my grand uncle who was also spiritual head at some point The first person on my list on chronological order list is my granduncle and he indirectly affected me with my meditation practice. My granduncle was my grandfather's youngest brother and had profound influence on me and many others even outside our community and faith. He was born in 1892 had a college degree taught english to many and was an official tutor to some of children for palanpur state's princely royal kids 
as we know india has some 400 plus plus states with kings maharajas nawabs until independence from british in 1947 so they consolidated all of them and then created one country india and palanpur was one of those states not very big but it was still a state and we had our own king i never met the king because i think he passed away before i was born um my grand uncle was very disciplined about his daily prayers and he meditated twice a day for two or more hours per sitting every day seven days a week in between he taught english to students who came to learn he had a reputation for success for his students so parents sent them to him when they were stuck on their exams or in their classes um also lot of, i remember a lot of people coming to visit him for different times some of his students became writers and poets so they'll come back even when he was not teaching come back to visit and come just people came to for his consults either was a english or something else or or spiritual um once a year during holy month of ramazan he did solitary retreat for 10 days in the mosque next to our house i used to take food to him when i and i was strictly instructed not to talk to him and when i was young i didn't quite understand but as i got older i i got the idea as to what what was going on he was always calm happy and present no matter who he was with a child or a dignitary he used to create games for us and he taught me how to make origami boats and when it rained we used to go in the backyard and float those boats so that's what i remember about him from when i was child our life was happy in such an environment and surroundings and i thought this will go on forever because as a child you never think about anything more than what's around you all this changed one day when i was senior in high school my dad went to his clinic as any other day and that day he had a heart attack and he died you can imagine our shock and sadness we all felt my granduncle was with us that day i remember how calm he was when he received the news there is a word he used that loosely translates as peaceful acceptance of death and he demonstrated complete acceptance of certainty of death and uncertainty of time of death that day he was very calm even though he was grieving with us and that year first time in my life 
he did not go on retreat since his family needed his presence and my 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 dad passed away 3 days before he was to start his re- re- annual retreat so he didn't go that year and then later on i asked him after he was he was a spiritual teacher i asked him to become my spiritual teacher and at this ceremony he taught me how to meditate then there was turn of events in my life when i was 21 years old my brother and sister-in-law came to india with their two beautiful little boys 1 and 2 years old to spend their summer vacation with us my sister-in-law was offered a full-time position at western reserve academy in hudson ohio so they needed someone to care for their children and they thought about me and they asked me if i was interested and i was excited to go to a new country and have a new experience and i had read and heard a lot about us um when i was in high school one of my principal uh, came to usa school had some kind of fun so they sent the principal to different countries occasionally and one time he came to usa and brought lots of slides of schools that he was attending and also my dad had visited here and he brought some pictures so i had seen first hand what it was like and it was like it would be an exciting country to go to <laughs> so when my brother and sister-in-law asked me i accepted my granduncle thought it was be a good idea for me and so did my mom so i accepted and came here i stayed in hudson until i went to akron to study cytopathology at akron general medical center and then when i completed my course i got my first job in toledo ohio after i graduated graduated and passed my board exams So that's a little bit about coming here. And the few months after I moved to Toledo, I met Shiva, now my husband, at a party. He is from South India and I am from North India. So we did not have a common Indian language as we know he speaks Tamil and I speak Gujarati. we ate different foods which i didn't know but i had never eaten some of his food and he had never eaten my north indian food so that was new we had different religions so shiva used to say the only thing we have in common is indian passport <laughs> <laughs> so besides the indian passport we had something else in common and that is english language so that's what we speak and my children speak english and our household we just spoke english only we joke 
that if British didn't come to India, we would not be married now. <laughs> we came from similar family backgrounds and we had the same shared values. So we were married after two years. <clears throat> so now about my daughter Malika, so second person uh, in, on my list that affected me to come here. When I was pregnant with my first daughter, Malika, everything went well until 20 weeks of pregnancy. On a routine exam, my doctor discovered a major health issue. We had to go to the hospital immediately and for an emergency procedure. I was shocked. Shiva was calm. I didn't think, it, I had not thought much about death. I was fully enjoying the samsara. As they were wheeling me to the operating room, I had all kinds of thoughts and anxiety and worries. What is death? What will happen to me? What if I die now? What if I and my baby both die? What if my baby did not survive? And what would happen to Shiva? What would he do with when I die? Because it'll be too much for him. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Doctor was very clear that they will try their best. But all types of complications were possible and the baby may not survive. The procedure lasted about an hour. I was awake the whole time and thinking. After the procedure, I had to stay in bed for 10 days in the hospital. So now more time to think, more time to get anxious, more time to get worried. And I wished I could talk to my granduncle. He would have certainly helped me deal with this challenge. Unfortunately, he had passed away 10 years prior, so I didn't have anybody to talk to. And even to talk to anyone else in India, it was not possible from the hospital. We had to wait for several hours after you placed the call because no cell phones, no internet, any of that. Communication was very hard in those days. Only way we could communicate with anyone was on big, long, nice letters. In my spiritual tradition, after death, 10, 20th, and 40-day ceremonies are performed by your spiritual teacher, and I considered very important for the disease. This time of anxiety, only thing I could do was to try to remember what my granduncle taught me when I was 16 years old, and that was how to meditate. So I remembered that, and I started to meditate, in breath, out breath. 
I did this any time I felt anxious, which was most of the time, but I could do it most of the time. I started to feel relaxed and not so worried. So I continued as much as I could. I remember hearing my granduncle and my parents discussing Krishnamurti's book once, something along the line of, one cannot go on without a spiritual guide and have a serious meditation practice. I was thinking, I don't even know if I'm doing my meditation practices correct or not. I do not have a teacher to guide me. However, this is all I know. So let's just go on. So I was in the hospital for 10 days and they finally sent me home. And I still remember how wonderful it was to go home and just see the blue sky and the green trees. Because in hospital, uh, I was facing the brick wall basically, which is not unusual for hospitals as we know, or it's worse in at Strong, you look at the, the, the cemetery, Mount Hope Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember one time I went for a, a, a some kind of procedure for um, at Strong and the person was very old and frail and we're standing there and from the window you can see the, the cemetery and I was like this is not very good for this lady <laughs> <laughs> so one day since I had to stay when, when I got home I had to stay in restricted mobilities my doctor came home to check on me, so I didn't have to go anywhere. Um, then one day, my husband Shiva brought me a pile of books from the library. Some were about religion, some for history, some philosophy, and some novels. I read them all looking for answers, whether my meditation was correct or not. and what what to do. I was just, I was looking, looking for answers. I clearly remember a chapter on Zen Buddhism that caught my attention. I read and reread that chapter. I had never heard of Zen Buddhism before. There were many discussions about Vedanta, Sufism, Ramana Maharshi, Ram Krishna Paramhans, Vivekananda, and Hazrat Inayat Khan, but not Zen. Maybe we had no Buddhist around us in Palanpur. Um, little did I know that Zen was very close to Dhyan, which is, I was very familiar with that. My sister-in-law was teaching a class on haiku poetry at Western Reserve Academy and once I had heard about Zen there. This is all I knew. My doctor was from Japan and I thought maybe I should ask but I never did.
And then there was a list of Zen centers around around us in in U.S. in one of the books, so I made a list. Ann Arbor was close, New York City and Massachusetts far, and then the Rochester Zen Center, which was a possibility to visit someday since she was brother lived in Rochester at that time. Months went by, our friends and neighbors supported us in many ways, and my baby Malika was born full term by C-section. My doctor told us this is a miracle baby. We were delighted and we celebrated with all our friends and neighbors. Actually when I got home with the baby, my our neighbors had decorated our porch with pink balloons and ribbons and all that and we I was really touched by that because they thought how hard it was to have this baby. And then my job at the hospital was gone because I had gone, stayed, I was gone from my um, position for too long and they didn't keep your job beyond 10 weeks in those day, that place. And it's very nice that when my daughter Malika had her little boy, she got four months off for maternity leave. So things have gotten much, much better for better. I think we have still a long way to go there. When Malika was six months old, we moved to Rochester for jobs. Since she was brother was here already, and we had to go someplace for jobs. So having a family was a plus. So after we got to Rochester, I had a very nice and quiet position here in Rochester. And, excuse me. After some times in Rochester, I looked up the phone number for the Zen Center and called. The person on the other end asked me some questions and so I told her I wanted to come there to meditate with the community. And she said, oh, we don't do meditation here, we do Zazen. <laughs> I had never heard of Zazen. So, and you have to attend a workshop on Saturday to learn this. And I was like, okay. And so I asked, how soon? And she told me, she'll mail me some information. I was disappointed because in India, you could just walk in any of the fake place without any any questions. Anybody can walk in. And so I was surprised about the restrictions. She told me she would mail me and so I got I got all the material in the mail. The workshop date and almost a full schedule on Saturday was difficult for me with a small baby and a new full time job at the time. So I called again to negotiate my way in like an Indian. <laughs> she told me, you have to attend a workshop and that is a requirement. I understand perfectly now 
but then I was disappointed again. So at this time, or maybe another time, I may have called again, and she told me about a, a short session on Saturday, one to two hour long. So I immediately signed up, and it was introduction to practice. I went there, which is here, right at the door. And before I came to Zen Center, I drove a few times to see if the doors were open or anything, and they, I didn't see any any activity there, so I, I went back. Um, the leader met us at the door and immediately led us here in the Zendo. And we were just sitting right here, and there were like maybe four or five people, not, not many. Um, he led us to the zendo and then went over sitting, different sitting positions. We did about maybe 20 minutes of sitting after he was done with the sitting, with the positions demonstration. Um, I had many questions. I wanted to find out if my meditation was correct, but there was no questions or answers session if I re recall. And there wasn't much discussion. And then as we were leaving, I was fascinated with the building and the garden. I I wanted to see, I thought maybe I'll get a little tour, but that didn't happen either. I wanted to look around and have a tour. The leader led us back to the door. Our session was over. I was disappointed again. <laughs> I did not call back for a few months, and I was like, I didn't know what, what else to do. But finding meditation community and checking about my practice did not go away from my mind. So I read a few more books, didn't help. Some reason, I never found Doc, uh, Roshi's Three Pillars of Zen, and it was not in one of those piles either. So a few months after, I called again. And by then, I think they probably thought I was this person is not going to go away. <laughs> <laughs> so this time, I was very lucky. I was scheduled to meet both in Roshi. Roshi talked, talk, met with me in the oak room, and we talked. He talked to me and asked me questions about my meditation practice, and I explained to him what I was doing. He did not say anything about Zazen or workshop. He told me to increase my sitting time at home from 20 to 30 minutes if I can. He also asked me that I could come to the center to sit with other people. Um, and he gave me the trial membership. Either he gave me the application or somebody else, but he also introduced me to few people well, as we were walking out, and we had a wonderful conversation. Just exactly what I was looking for. Here was someone, a leader, who understood what I was looking for in my spiritual practice. So thank you, Roshi. So after I, I immediately filled out my 
trial membership application and then I started to come here once I think come here on some evenings and some Sundays my husband watched the baby and made it possible for me to come and then I think somewhere along the same time there was a workshop that I was able to attend and I came to the workshop and it was given by Roshi Kapla so that's where I met him Um, so my husband Shiva made, made possible for me to come here and I, I came at that time there were no families in at the Zen Center there were no children's program or youth program so some of us parents felt it would be helpful to have kids come to the center even for once in a while so we initiated that and I remember Jim Thompson led a one-minute sitting for little kids in the dining room <laughs> and told them a story about a fine jewels that we all have have and by sitting we can keep it polished and I we had some questions about that so I think the kids did get a little bit in from that by bringing the kids here it was easy for us parents to now um, just so the kids knew what parents were doing and where they were going and that was very helpful and also the family and then the, one of the discussions when we had about bringing the, the kids here was that some some of the parents were thinking we should make this place a fun place for the kids to come not like a Sunday school I didn't quite know what Sunday school was like but I kind of understood what they were saying it's not some kind of a strict study thing it has to be fun and so some of the parents worked hard to come up with that kind of program so thank you to all the parents and the Zen Center leadership for including the kids so they felt part of their parents' spiritual practice. Then, three and a half years later, when I had my second daughter, Maya, things went well initially. I thought that doctors know what my problem was and that things went well with Malika, things would go well. Well, they did until seven months. And then I developed complications again. She was born preemie, was sick. We were very sick, both of us. She stayed in neonatology and special care nursery, and she got excellent care. We were able to take her home after 20 days, and part of it was at Highland Hospital because the doctors felt then when she just needed a treatment, there would be a better, quieter place. And it certainly was more than, but care was excellent for her. Not so much for me and high-risk OB. We, I was moved from doctors to doctors. And my physician, who was supposed to take care of me all the time, I never saw him at Strong. It was somebody else. It was always somebody else. So it was a nightmare. <laughs> We were able to take her home after 20 days. And then when we got home, for days we had hot meals delivered to us from Sangha. 
Sunya Roshi, Sunya Roshi and Sunyala Roshi called and checked on me in the hospital. And Sangha members came and stayed and visited when they brought meals. And that was very helpful. And I was so touched that they even offered to organize a healing chart for Maya. And we were really touched. Especially when you don't talk to people too much when we came to sit, you know, and you, I didn't really know people that well, you know, other than the parents group. But it was absolutely amazing. And this is before we had Kunan committee. So I don't know how they organized, but we always had a hot meal for days. She recovered completely and just went on like any other baby after she was, um, you know, beyond the preemie stage. Then years later, when Maya was in middle school, we had a youth program with one-year commitment. And then our niece, Sarah, she was brother's daughter. She also joined. They had various projects, work week in summer at the Chapin Mill. It was hot there because I heard a lot about being hot. <laughs> and... Um, they also complained about uh, working in the garden in heat because they had to bring this mulch and Sarah was really complaining. <laughs> and, um, so they had various projects, workshop, they did the woodworking project that they absolutely loved with Tom. Um, and then finally, Amala Sensei said, they need to attend the workshop too. So then they came on Saturday workshop. Um, and the next day, they were asked to come and sit. And it was absolutely amazing for me to be sitting with my daughters in the Zendo. I never thought that would happen. But here's the little kids, and there were several other kids. So now they know how to sit and keep this in their toolbox if they ever need, just like I did. Just recently, one day, we were sitting in Colorado in Malika's house, my first daughter, and sitting around the dining table, and we were just talking, and the Zen Center conversation came up. And Maya and Sarah both said they got so much from going to the youth program, which surprised me because there were complaints when they were going. <laughs> Um, I also remember that um, Richard worked with them on haiku, on how to write haiku poetry, and they loved that one. Maya and Sarah both said they got a lot out of going from the youth program. And just recently, a couple of weeks ago, Sarah was here with her new baby. Um, she's seven months old, and her husband, and they stayed with us. And then she asked me, when is the waist out? And I said, well, it's always on Memorial Day. And he said, well, you think I can bring my my son and my husband to Vesak? And I said, of course you can. So that's, um, that, that's how much they got from it, I, I think. So thanks to Amala Roshi, Richard, Dara Sensei, Tom, K. 
Catherine, Kanji, Luen, and many, and Truman, uh, for for all your hard work for the youth program. And the children's program, and later the youth program made it easier for me to come to the center and include my family. Um, one more thing that helped me when with my practice was when we were looking for a house in Brighton. Um, the house that we lived in was owned by a Catholic priest at University of Rochester, and he had built um, a little, a nice little library and a little little chapel in the or basement. So it was like end of the basement, and I we set I set up my cushion and things. And when the kids were growing up and there was a lot of noise and all that. I was able to take a little time and go down and sit. So that was, and we still have that. So it was very nice to have that. And she, when we saw the, the house, Shiva was saying, oh, this would be a nice place for us. And the real estate agent said, oh, you could use this room as a hobby. And we said, no, we have a better, we have a other uses we can use. <laughs> so that was helpful too. Recently, and recently I want to thank all the technical people who bring Zoom sittings to us. And so this was very helpful during the isolation. And even now, I, when I'm lazy and I haven't been coming to the center, <laughs> and when it's snowing and think about parking here, I just sit at the Zoom. And it's just absolutely wonderful. Not as wonderful as sitting here, but it's still wonderful. So as you can see, there are many interconnected events and people who helped me to come to the path and keep me on the path. So my gratitude to all and thank you. Okay, great. You can stretch your legs now. <laughs> it was, I think the cushion was sliding. That's uh, why. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, so just bear with us, Joe, and I just need to do a couple of things with the technology uh, because we do want to have a question and answer period. Uh, we do have a little bit of time, I believe. And um, yeah, and it will also allow people on Zoom to ask questions as well as soon as uh, I get this going. <coughs> Is um, so Maimuna's just a little hard of hearing, so I'm gonna be her ears. Um, so I'll probably end up re repeating the question if if she can't hear. So feel free to ask me, and he will repeat it for me if I need to, because it's only somebody talks way back or softly, then I have a problem. I do have a hearing aids, but sometimes they don't work as well, <laughs> and that's why the phone is here, so I can change the volume. Okay, not good. Going to, not going to check Facebook or anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're good to go. Does anybody have anything in the Zendo? We'll start with people in the Zendo first for a couple questions. 
Oh, yes, Jess. I'm wondering what it was like bringing your your children into the practice without getting into falling into a trap of maybe proselytizing when they're so young and maybe they could be resistant to it or not really understand the full depth of what it could do for them. We just, I think what aim was when we first started the children's program was just bring them so they they're exposed to it. They won't understand what's going on all of it until they're a little bit older. But it was uh, it was just be here, and then once they were older, we just had like activities for them. So we did like drawing or some kind of origami or something, and they were like age appropriate. So we separated them in age. And we used to sit, we used to meet in the dormitory over there, and so dif- different rooms. And so, so one, we had volunteer parents who worked with children, and then the other parents could sit. And then 15 minutes they came in for Tesho, first 15 minutes, the older kids, or even younger, we brought everybody, yeah, yeah. And I still remember that Roshi one time, um, told the kids a little story about the how did the sock got on your on your on your feet, and he talked about all the interconnected events that brought the the sock to your feet, and the kids thought that was just absolutely wonderful. <laughs> but they were a little older, not babies. Would you repeat that? Yeah. Uh, quite first question is about uh, having to talk a little bit about a teacher in when you were in India. Oh. And then and then having a teacher here and how did that go? Well, honestly, my grand uncle um, and we had a um, ceremony that everybody does. And by the time you're like sixteen or so, you have a ceremony and you choose your teacher. Um, but. My teacher never asked me to meditate. He taught me how to do it, and he was in my home, so he knows. And he just he just never asked anyone if they wanted to and they wanted a practice seriously. Then he would counsel them if they came. Sort of like here, you know. If you, so, um, I can't say a lot more because I didn't really use my teacher that much there. <laughs> I was 16 and I was had more in other interests at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then, what about here? When, uh, like, what about here? Yeah, it was a while before a I took Roshi. I went through ceremony. It was a while, so then I it was. Um, I didn't see big difference. I mean, we are medit- We're doing meditation, you know. So I can't say a lot about. How their practice worked in that in India, because I didn't really move too far. You know? So, uh, so this is all I know as far as that goes. You know, my my practice with my teacher here. And then actually related to that, my question was: uh, 
uh, when did you start doing sashin and what was that like the first time you did sashin? Um, it was a while before I went to sashins too because I couldn't get away from the kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, first, my first sashin was here when we were still um, doing we didn't have here. the Chapman Mill, and I sat right over there. And two days sashin was very hard. Very. <laughs> Only thing I could compare was like labor. <laughs> and I remember one of the leaders telling me, says, you made it. I was like, and another problem I had that that sashin was that I was drinking coffee and we didn't have any coffee. So I started to have splitting headache the next day. And then I finally told the, the teacher, the leader, I, can't, I think it was a Roshi, it was somebody else, I can't remember, um, maybe Sunia, Sunyana. Um, and I think somebody gave me Advil, if I remember, <laughs> it was like, you don't need to deal with that. <laughs> and then, I think next day I found out the person next to me didn't make it beyond one day, because he was gone, you know, and that happens sometimes. but. I was determined I was going to stay, and so that was my first sashin. And then after that, I started to sit more before I came at home, and here too, whenever I was I had opportunities, and so it got better, like everybody else, you know. Oh, uh, Jisa, can you hear me? Yes. All right, just checking in with people online if they have anything to say or any questions. If there's someone that has a question or a comment, feel free to go ahead and unmute yourself. I like it. Talk. Um, I'm Una, it's Elaine. I'm in Florida, and uh, I can't remember a time when you were not there at the Sun Center in the 80s. Can you hear me? No, you can't hear me. I'll repeat the uh, question, no. I'll repeat thank it. Thank you. Yeah, it was Elaine, Elaine, Elaine Heverin. Okay. okay. Yeah. And she just said she can't recall a time where she did not see you here regularly at the Center in the 80s and 90s, so she's just oh. thanking you. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I, thank you, Siva. Shiva, too. <laughs> but it's nice to um, hear your story because, like you said, there's not much talking there. So um, I see people over many decades <laughs> off and on, and it's really, really been looking forward to this talk and, and hearing your story. It was wonderful. I, I'm on India is in my heart. <laughs> She's thanking you for it. Okay, <laughs> thank you. But that was also my incentive to get off caffeine, so I did get off caffeine. Now, <laughs> now I drink green tea in the morning. We both, she and I both do, yeah. And um, I think green tea has a little caffeine, mm -hmm. but it was years that I didn't even drink green tea because I was so worried that I didn't want to go through that headache again. Because it was like, it just totally knocks you off. <laughs> in addition to all the leg pain and the back pain and everything else.
public service announcement. Yes. We do now serve coffee during. <laughs> okay, I missed that. We do serve coffee now in Sashiko. Oh, yeah, we, I know that. I don't drink it. <laughs> but there's also green tea, so that is good. Well, how was your transition coming from India to this culture? Oh, my goodness. I think that would take a long time. <laughs> but I can tell you one thing that really impressed me was that, see, I, as you can see, I was part of a community, right. yeah. and um, my father was well-known, my family was well-known in town, so we had to behave. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knew us. And so when we came here, when I came here, I was fascinated that individualism, it was like people can do whatever they want. They don't have to worry about what their family, but I didn't have a family, you know, so... I had my brother and sister-in-law, but they had already lived here for a while, you know. They came here as students, so. Mm -hmm. So you experienced a little more freedom. Uh, well, the freedom impressed me, but as I stayed longer, I see I saw the, the problems with that too, yes. you know, yes. so. But in the beginning it did. Another thing that impressed me was you can have any job. It didn't matter what class you came from. And that was impressive to me. And then organization of everything, because in India, I don't know if you, anybody, anybody's been lived in India. Things are like, somehow things happen, but it's not like, <laughs> <laughs> everything works. <laughs> oh, okay. But it's different. It was different. And not as many people on the street. That, that was something too. Because we are a very populated country in India. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious um, what year it was that you first came here that you contacted the, the center to try I to... I think it was like 86 or 87. Okay. Yeah. We're going to track those people down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I contacted three times, you know. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. wouldn't go away. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe just one more question. I think Luca, you had something? Yeah, I just Thank you. Peek into your life that you know I wouldn't have gotten otherwise, and it's so worthwhile and enriching to hear about your your arc through all of these different phases of your life. Um, when I first started sitting, I lived in Madison, and one thing I would do regularly is dig around in the the podcast archives and listen to every coming to the path talk I could possibly find because it was really fascinating and encouraging to hear from different folks and so I'm really glad that you're part of that list now. So thank you. And my gratitude to Roshi, absolutely. I wouldn't be here without him.